Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hour number two in this edition of Arizona Sports Saturday, live from the Akchin Community Studios. Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. We got hit with breaking news before the show started. Thankfully, it had no massive impact on what we were planning to do today, which is always nice. But with NBA free agency starting yesterday, you have to imagine that something massive was going to shake the basketball world. Last year, of course, was the Kevin Durant requesting a trade out of Brooklyn. Eventually found his way to Phoenix. This year, Steve, Damian Lillard reportedly has requested out of Portland. Yeah, so a couple of teams have been named as options. We all know that Miami is one that's going to get talked about a lot. They just went to the finals. They were in the mix for Bradley Beal, reportedly. That didn't end up working out for obvious reasons. (laughs) And then uh, now Damian Lillard is available. So Miami, would, uh, I think, would probably be the leader in the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. I like to imagine that he's probably asked them specifically to send him to Miami. We'll see if they end up doing that. Um, do they want to do what's in the best interest of the player or do they want to do what's in the best interest of the organization? And those might be two different things. I want to put it out there that I think I think the one exception of superstar player asking out is Kawhi Leonard. He probably had a list of places he wanted to go and in San Antonio instead said, nope, we're going to send you to Toronto because they can give us a really good package back. That was uh, DeMar DeRozan, right? DeMar DeRozan, Jakob Pertl. Like, they got a really decent package back. They had to give up Kawhi Leonard, and that led to Toronto winning the title. Yeah, it did. So I guess it worked out. Yeah. But I don't think that any other of these superstars asking out kind of thing is going to lead down that similar path. The bridge between Kawhi Leonard's party and the San Antonio Spurs party, that thing burst into flames almost instantly. Dame has been the face of this Portland Trailblazers franchise for decade plus, right? I'd be shocked if this organization is going to do him dirty, per se. They're also going to get what's best for them. I understand that. But you can still get the best for you and send your star player where he wants to go. I think both can be done. Yeah, you got to be careful because if you are talking with the Miami Heat and you're like, listen, he wants to be on your team, you want him to be on your team, let's make it happen, but give us a fair offer, you got to be careful because then all of a sudden you're bidding against yourself. There's no reason for the Heat to give you the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars when they know that they're the destination and you're probably going to pull the trigger no matter what. So I think if you're Portland, you're probably going into this and saying, okay, we are going to look at what we can get from other teams. If the Spurs want to try to pair Damian Lillard with Victor Wembenyama, let's talk about what that package looks like in return. If the Sixers want to pair Damian Lillard with Joel Embiid, and by the way, James Harden is still there. Tyrese Maxey is there. Mm-hmm. Can we get one of those guys? I would imagine they'd rather have Maxey, but that maybe that's just me. Uh, they got to look at the Brooklyn Nets, who reportedly are interested. Uh, I would imagine that's to pair Damian Lillard with Mikel Bridges. Boy, would that be fun to watch. As opposed to trading Mikel Bridges for Damian Lillard. I can't see that being the option. This whole offseason has been all about the CBA, the new CBA and the restrictions that they put on teams who pay a lot of money. And so that's why you're seeing all these star players get traded for below market value. 
Bradley Beal dumped to the Suns. And I say dumped because they got a bunch of second round picks and Chris Paul, who they turned into Jordan Poole. So you've got James Harden is looking to be moved and is getting talked about like the Clippers could acquire him without giving up Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. You're going to see Porzingis moved for less than market value. Other guys are going to get traded. And I feel like that's what's probably going to happen here with Lillard is he's going to be moved likely to the heat. They're going to get a couple of role players like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, maybe, and a couple of picks in the future. And that's probably going to get it done. And I don't think Portland really loses out, per se, in whatever contracts they have to take back. Because then, from Portland's perspective, if they think they're just going to not be good enough again to make the postseason next year, you can turn those players into movable assets and get more draft capital as a result for the next class of hot young prospects, NBA players from all over the world, et cetera, et cetera. Do I they even to- want draft capital, though? I mean, like, I, if you're the Trailblazers, you're probably looking at it like, I can move him for a bunch of picks. I could trade him to Oklahoma City, and they could just absorb Damian Lillard probably with their cap space. I'm not sure how much they have. I, I, but I don't think that Oklahoma City's going to do that anymore. They almost made the postseason well, last year. Maybe not, but what I'm saying is, like, there are teams out there like the Spurs and Oklahoma City or others who can offer you a ton in draft assets. But does Portland want to go that route? Or would they rather acquire a player like a Tyrese Maxey who can play the same position, essentially, as Damian Lillard and kind of fill that gap? He's not the same player, but he's he still fills that, plus you're getting other things. Look, here's the Dame stretch and the whole argument of do they want picks or whatever, starting over, et cetera, et cetera. The Dame stretch of Portland in the playoffs goes from 2013 to 2021. The last time they were in the postseason was the fresh out of the bubble year. I don't know what to call it, but the year that the Suns went to the NBA Finals. That was the last year Portland was in the postseason. They lost in the first round to the Nuggets. They fired Terry Stotts shortly after, brought in Chauncey Billups. They haven't made the playoffs or had a winning record since. And I get it. That's only two years. But... It's clear to me that they're going in a different direction, and I don't think Dame wants to be a part of that direction. I think Dame wants to try and get his ring and get out because he's at that point in his career where, you know, he's Portland's Chris Paul. Let's say Chris Paul's the NBA version of this, but Portland's version of it is Damian Lillard. He's got to get the ring at some point in his mind, I imagine, and then the national narrative about him changes a lot too, Right. Like, what do you think happens if Chris Paul gets a ring with the Warriors this year? We're all going to hate ourselves. <laughs> I mean, it's just on a base level. Sure. We're all going to be really, really mad. That's how we're going to feel. But nationally, is the narrative now automatic first ballot Hall of Famer? There's nothing left for Chris Paul to do. Yeah, I mean, he was already a first ballot Hall right. of Famer in my mind. But yeah, it solidifies it. And I think it's the same with Dame. Because Dame's probably a first ballot Hall of Famer. Probably. getting a ring solidifies that, does it not? Oh, sure. Nikola Jokic, he's only 27, 28 years old. Got his first ring. You think that solidifies his Hall of Fame status? Giannis Antetokounmpo two years ago, same thing. I think that's all that what Dame wants at this point, if I had to guess. Yeah, so it's it's about balancing what Dame wants and what you want as an organization. You're not going to make a decision that's bad for you in the long run. No. But you also don't want to tick off the guy who's been the face of the organization for the past decade and is maybe the best player in your franchise's history. I mean, he's in that conversation. Yes. Clyde Drexler comes to mind. Uh, 
Well, I mean, they've won, from that. they've won a title. I can't remember when they won it. But, yeah, Clyde Drexler was a big piece. They've had great teams in the le- later 90s into the 2000s with, like, Rasheed Wallace, Steve Smith. Oh, he's better than Rasheed Wallace. I, I, I know. I'm, the point is, is that they've had iterations of good basketball teams before. Yeah. So, I mean, you do want to do right by that guy. It's the same thing we talked about uh, for all those years with Larry Fitzgerald. If they were going to trade Larry Fitzgerald... We always talked about you wanted to move him to a contender so he could try to win a ring. You wanted to move him to New England so he and Bill Belichick could team up. Or Mm -hmm. you wanted to trade him somewhere where he would be a good player on a contributing to a championship. And that's what the Pacers are the sorry, the uh, Blazers are dealing with right now. They're trying to figure out, do we do right by him and send him to Miami when we think we might actually be better off with Tyrese Maxey from the Sixers? And it's not like that would be a bad situation for Dame either to no. go to Philadelphia and pair up with the league's MVP. And maybe James Harden has a change of heart all of a sudden and wants to stay. And now you've got Harden, Lillard, Embiid in in in, in Philadelphia. It's possible. There's a lot of different ways that this can go. I feel pretty confident that everyone is looking at this like, okay, it's Miami or nothing. But Damian Lillard, I mean, for he played it out. He did what LeBron did. He waited and waited and waited, and they just kept giving him pieces that weren't adequate. And now he's like, I'm not waiting anymore. Uh, I, I mean, LeBron bailed sooner than Dame did. Seven years. Dame's been there for p- decade plus. I get that. He he did. You're right. He waited longer. He also got better complimentary pieces than LeBron did. LeBron got Shaq <laughs> at the end. He oh, got the yeah the bad Anton Jameson. Who was the who was the who was the Mo? Mo Williams? Mo Williams, yeah. He made an all-star. He was like the second best player. He made one all-star appearance. Is it Jonas Ilgauskas? Yeah. Hey, like, Larry that's Hughes. That's my point. <laughs> well, Larry Bears Hughes was now. there when LeBron got there, if I remember right. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. So they were paired up immediately. But like in terms of like, hey, go get me a guy, they got him Anton Jameson. Like, that's not enough. Dame's looking at the same thing. He's like, you traded away C.J. McCollum, gave him to the Pelicans. What, what do I got here? I got nothing. Send me to Miami. Stugatz, basically. Something like that. Coming up next, we talked earlier about a predicament that the Diamondbacks are facing. Well, there's an easy fix to that predicament. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The Arizona Diamondbacks have a problem. Currently, they only have four starting pitchers. What? Currently. Currently. Oh, okay. Uh, Merrill Kelly is injured, blood clot in the leg, hoping that that uh, doesn't keep him out too long. I read that he was on the field, I believe, yesterday, doing some stretch. Like, suppose that's good news. It was a good catch by the medical team, but it's not going to be as detrimental. I guess was the phrasing. That's a guy who could be an all-star this season, the way that he's pitched. And Zach Gallen deserves all the headlines, and he usually gets them over Merrill Kelly. But mm-hmm. Merrill Kelly's been just as good in a lot of ways. It's been and awesome. So uh, you're hoping to get that guy back sooner rather than later. But what it leaves you with is Gallen and then Tommy Henry, who's impressed me lately. I think that that's certainly a guy who sticks for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Nelson, who's struggled mightily throughout the course of this season, but then has had a couple of good outings. Zach Davies had one really good outing uh, last time out against the Rays, but before that was maybe pitching for his job. Mm-hmm. And so now that Brandon Fott got called up, that things went terribly. He gave up six runs in basically two innings. 
He's been sent back down. So now you're in a position where you only have four starters. And your options are you call up another guy from AAA, but since Fott just was the last one, now you'd have to turn to like a Blake Walston, Slade Ciccone, Bryce Jarvis, who none of them are doing particularly well in AAA. Or you could do a bullpen game, I guess. I still think that's the easiest thing to do. I mean, look at the calendar. There's probably only going to be needed for one game. Right. Right? If you move Davies up a start because you have a natural day off on a Monday. Then it would be a full five days for Davies the day after Gallon, And then you figure out the bullpen game within those last few games against the Mets and the Pirates. Like, I don't, I'm not saying they shouldn't be cognizant of the situation that's ahead of them. I'm just saying that a bullpen game right before the All-Star break, not the worst thing in the world. I guess there is a third option here. You could go and make a trade, and I realize that the trade deadline is still a month away, but... But why wait? If you want to capitalize early, the way that the Diamondbacks did with the 2017 acquisition of J.D. Martinez, you could go and get somebody now that not only fills a need that you know you're going to have in a month anyway in your starting rotation, getting a third guy that can take the ball confidently in the playoffs, get him now so that you have somebody to fill the gaps because Merrill Kelly is injured, because uh, maybe Zach Davies isn't performing up to snuff, because... Uh, Brandon Fought gets sent back down. Ac- acquiring that guy now would be pretty significant because it would cover all those things. The question is, who do you go out and get? Because we've talked a lot about this, Mitch, with Ross, uh, not roster expansion, uh, playoff expansion. Mm-hmm. You now have so many teams that think that they're in it, and really well, they just, are in not it. Not just think. I mean, the the teams that look at it as we are still competitive and we're still in this race are the ones that are fighting for a division crown right now. Right. Because there's a lot of mush in both of the central divisions right now. The Reds have had a really good month of June, and that has propelled them into first place in the NL Central. But they're only a game ahead of the Brewers. They're only a couple of games ahead of the Pirates. They're only a few more ahead of the Cubs. Like, there's four teams in the NL Central right now that feasibly see themselves as competitive and then the Cardinals are the extreme wild card. Ten games out. But they're playing significantly under their their price tag, let's say. They're, they were the division winners last year. They got knocked out early by the Philadelphia Phillies, but they're perennials yeah, in so this league. If you want the Diamondbacks to go out and get a starting pitcher, okay, let's talk about it. Are the Brewers going to move Corbin Burns if they're a game back of the Reds right now? I don't think so. Are the Cubs going to move Marcus Stroman? If they're five games back in the central and even less in a wild card race, I don't I don't know what Mr. Ricketts is up to in his free time. But um, yeah, anyway, let's talk Guardians. Are they going to move Shane Bieber if they're only one game back in the AL Central in a, behind in the Twins? A really, really cruddy AL Central. Even the Tigers. I know the position that they're in organizationally. Eduardo Rodriguez would be a nice addition. He would be Awesome. For They're only five games back in their own division. Yeah. The White Sox. You could I could envision Lance Lynn. I could envision Dylan Cease. I could envision a couple of their guys. Lucas Giolito, maybe getting moved. They're only five and a half back. So there's so many organizations that are still in it that I don't know that they're willing to sell a month early. They'd rather find out three weeks from now or a month from now, okay, where are we at as we approach the trade deadline? And if we feel we're out of it, now we'll pull the trigger. It's hard to make a trade this early. Mike Hazen essentially echoed what you just said with Wolf and Luke earlier this week. The landscape isn't great right now to buy. Um, 
the, the, the central divisions are so tightly packed that the teams that are even staring in fourth place are within shouting distance of the division title. Um, and that, you know, if you can win a division, forget about the wild card. If you have access to the division, you know, you don't need to worry about anything else. And you play your divisional opponents the most, so it's the most head-to-heads you're going to get. So if you're standing there only a few games out of your division, even if you're in fourth place, like you're not going to sell, or at least you're not going to sell in a way that, you know, there's going to be a wide access to their to other teams' players. So it's a pretty thin buyer's market right now. Now, I want to throw a wild card option out there, and I do mean wild card option because – they're not going to do any selling right now, but if they keep going at the pace they're going, they might have to consider it. The New York Mets are 36 and 46. In a basically lost division, the Atlanta Braves are running. And I mean literally running at full speed away with the AL East right That's now. That's 18 and a half back. 18 and a half from the division. Yeah. And they're pretty far out of the wild card race, too, because you've got a very competitive NL West, as we know, with the Diamondbacks in first. The Giants are 10 games above 500. The Dodgers are literally a half game behind them. So a wild card is very much out of the picture right now for the Mets. And they've got some expensive contracts that they might be willing to move. Some short-term ones. Maybe even a reunion, perhaps, for Arizona. Would you say no to a Max Scherzer trade? Wow, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought too much about him because I we all just assumed Steve Cohen was so crazy about competing this year that he wouldn't sell off pieces. He, look, he's been com- he's been crazy about competing every year. Look at the money he spent. Yeah. I have I have the numbers here for you. Okay, he's due well for full season, so they'd probably be prorated forty three million dollars this year. Yeah, that's a lot. Now let's are, assume if you trade for him, you're only paying half that. Right? There's two issues or two potential snags, I should say. He has a full no-trade clause. So he would want to come here. He would have to want to come here. Correct. Okay. Number two. That's a big snag. Number two. He has a player option next Bigger year. Bigger snag. This is the huge snag. Because you, he has a player option for 43 and a third million next year. So it could go one of two ways. It could go, I think I can get another big money deal in free agency, so I'm going to say no, and I don't want to be on the Dimebacks. Or it really bleeps the Diamondbacks, per se, because now you have another really expensive pitcher who's almost going to be 40. Listen, as much as uh, you know I love narrative, you know I love a good story, and bringing back Max Scherzer, it would be a full circle thing. It would be really cool to see him back in a Diamondbacks uniform where it never really got to be realized the way that we hoped it would. Literally. Um, That would be really cool. Not going to happen. And if I'm Mike Hazen in the Diamondbacks, I don't want it to happen because of the money. Are you really going to risk him coming back on a $43 million deal next season, a player option, where your current payroll is not much more than 100 I don't think. It's like 100 and 110 somewhere in that range, and you're going to essentially add half of that on top for Max Scherzer. I can't imagine Ken Kendrick being okay with that for, let's say that's 43 and then let's say you're paying half of his salary this year. That's over $60 million for a year and a half of a 39-year-old Max Scherzer. But it is Max Scherzer. But it's not this, It's not five years okay, ago, Max but Scherzer. But you know what? This is just not. This also isn't Madison Bumgarner. This is Max bleeping Scherzer, who has been a perennial all-star into his late 30s and is like the next version of Roger Clemens, basically, pitching into his 40s, right? Like between him and Justin Verlander, there's 
I mean, Verlander's had a down year, but there's like no signs of slowing from yeah, them. Yeah, but I think that the lesson you should have learned from Madison Bumgarner is that you paid for the guy he was, not the guy he will be for you. And none of us have a crystal ball. We can't see into the future and know, is Madison Bumgarner going to be good or is he going to fall off? And he clearly fell off. But Max Scherzer is 38 years old. He's not getting better. His ERA is 3.87. That's pretty good, but it's not Max Scherzer you're talking about. His whip is 1.20. That's 30 points higher than the year before. It's not bad. It's just trending the wrong direction. If you're talking about paying for Max Scherzer, the guy who wins Cy Young's all the time, I agree with you, but I'm not in the business of paying guys to be what they once were. I'm in the business of paying guys to be what they're going to be realistically for us. Here's an idea I'll pitch you right before we go to break. Okay. And I wrote about this at ArizonaSports.com. You can check it out. It's on the Ain't No Fang podcast. If you want to talk about a reunion with a starting pitcher for the Diamondbacks, the right reunion for them is Zach Greinke. He's Mm. playing on one of probably four teams around Major League Baseball that for sure will be sellers. You know how I know that? They've already sold. They've already (laughs) gave away Roldis Chapman. So Zach Granke, I think, went to the Royals to have this full circle career moment, right? To fade to black, to retire with the team he started with in Kansas City. Yep. But what if he looks at the Arizona Diamondbacks and says, that actually makes sense to me. I can go somewhere that I'm comfortable, somewhere my family has already been. I'm familiar with the front office. I'm familiar with the coaching staff. I even have a connection to Brent Strom from Houston. And I can go back. And the expectations, the real, the reason that Zach Granke makes more sense for the Diamondbacks now than he even did when he signed his mega deal in 2015 is because the expectations are not heaped on him. We don't need him to be an ace. We need him to come be our fourth or fifth starter at the back end of the rotation. Zach Granke has made at least 26 starts every year since 2008, except for the COVID year. Mm. He is as solid as they come, and I don't need him to come here and be an ace and win every single game he pitches, like you, the expectations you might have for Scherzer. I need him to come and be a guy that I feel comfortable giving the ball to in Game 3 or Game 4 of a playoff series. And I think you can get him relatively cheap because he's at the end of his career, his numbers are okay, and he's pitching for the Kansas City Royals. He's acquirable, and I think you can even make that trade on top of Another trade for a starter if you wanted to go all in on a Stroman or some other pitcher that you bring in. They can be the guy with expectations. Granky can be the solid guy. God, I love talking baseball trades with you. I hope you know that. Coming up next, Kellen Olsen, our Arizona Sports Suns guru. He's going to tell us a little bit more about the newest members of the Suns. We'll do that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass back here in the Auction Community Studios. Can't say studios. Half hour left on this edition of Arizona Sports Saturday in what has been in the teeth of NBA free agency and no one better to talk to about the newest members of the Phoenix Suns than our Suns guru, Kellen Olsen, here at Arizona Sports, joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Kellen, thanks so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. No problem, guys. Glad to be here. Perfect. So I want to just kind of encompass or put together all six of the guys that were reportedly joining the Suns yesterday. Of the group, who stands out the most to you and why? I think it's Josh Akogi, but it, it really is most of the group. But I'll, I'll go with Josh just because I thought that he had a really good chance to get money elsewhere. And 
the biggest surprise of the day as as a whole was just how quickly the Suns were able to get through this and, and fill up their roster because the expectation you have is that the guys that are going to take the veterans minimum are going to do right by themselves from a financial perspective and at least see how the market goes for the next couple of days because there are plenty of teams right now that still have mid-level money left. They still have a tax fair mid-level left, but all of these guys, specifically Josh in particular, who I think had the best chance of a payday out of any of the guys that they signed, uh, chose to come back to Phoenix. I think that it's a huge win for the Suns to retain him, a huge win to retain Damian Lee, and a huge win for some of the other names that they brought in. Because I, if I would have had to guess these six guys, how many of them would have taken the minimum or been at the price of a minimum, I would have only guessed about one or two of them. I think they did really, really well. So six new guys, four of them are, well, I should say six free agents signed, four new guys, two guys coming back. Does that number, the the ratio there, does that surprise you? Because I kind of thought it would be the opposite. And Mitch and I were talking earlier, is it a product of the new head coach wanting some new players that he likes in particular? I think I think it's part of both of those things, but I, I am surprised by the ratio a little bit. But when you kind of look at exactly what went down and what Gamble reported earlier in the day, just about wanting to get more athletic, they had to go elsewhere to kind of find those things, and, and they did, right? Like Kata Bates-Diop in San Antonio last year sort of came into his own and was a productive NBA player. He's 6'8 with a 7'3 wingspan. That's a ginormous defensive wing right there. Metsu is a really explosive player. He's a bit undersized, but he brings that. As well, I, I think Eubanks is going to surprise a lot of people. I think that he's just getting directly compared to Jock Landau, which makes sense because they do similar things. But I think that Eubanks is skilled and he's a little bit more athletic than he gets credit for. He's, he's not quick-footed by any means, but he has some explosivity to his game as well. And, and then we know Josh's resume there as well as a defender. And I think Yuda, again, is the guy who gets – Yuda Watanabe is the guy who gets pocketed as a shooter – Rightfully so, but he's 6'9 and can move a bit and has long arms. So they just got a lot more dynamic athletically, and of course that pertains to the defensive end more than the offensive end, and more so with lineup versatility. I think Vogel's going to have a ton of interesting combinations to use, and I think the signings help there for sure. Kellen Olson, our Arizona sports lead Suns writer, one half of the Empire of the Suns podcast with Arizona sports. He's joining us here on the Arizona sports line. The the report that Gamble put out initially, and now we know, of course, it is essentially a bunch of dudes that are under the age of 29 joining the Suns. What kind of an impact does that have, not only on those individuals that signed the deals, but to this team, whereas you look at a year ago, it was a lot more veterans, older guys, and now you've got basically a youth infusion after this free agency period. Yeah, to, to an extent, I just think it speaks more to where they had to look for value because a lot of the veterans that we were talking about on the minimum or potentially on the minimum are guys that have been really established. And I think that the biggest theme that I see with their phrase and signings is that the four newcomers are all young guys who are relatively unproven, but they're coming off of their best season. Eubanks has had a stretch in Portland for a while now, but he had a consistent role in Portland and was most of the time it just seemed like generally and, and, and some of this had to do with use of Nurkic's play as well but was their best big for most of the year. Metu found somewhat of a consistent role the fact that he wasn't able to beat out a guy like Alex Lynn he was able to beat out Rashawn Holmes but never locked down that backup big spot just speaks to kind of the deficiencies in his game but it was his most productive year. I brought up Bates D up already he was struggling to land himself as kind of an NBA player the last year D he certainly proved that he is that. And then Watanabe, when the super team was still together in sorts in Brooklyn and you at least had Irving and Durant together, 
he was really thriving with those two guys. But once the the uh, dust settled on what Brooklyn did, he kind of faded out of the rotation. And it makes a lot of sense why, because one, Brooklyn added a million wings, but two, <laughs> they didn't really have the ball handlers and creators to create open shots as often for a guy like Wadnot because more of a catch-and-shoot threat than anything else. So it's four guys who they saw some market value on where they could capitalize on four guys in situations that maybe a lot of people, including me, to be honest, aren't really paying attention to that uh, attention to that much. Like I've been watching a lot of Spurs and Blazers games over the last 24 hours, because these are guys we didn't see much of throughout the year, but the Suns clearly did and saw some value there. And those guys see some value in coming here, really playing on a good team and a good role and upping their value for next summer. We know when it comes to the start of a game or the end of a game, we're going to see Beal, Booker, Durant, Ayton. They're going to be on the floor. As you see it with the free agents that they have, now that the roster's pretty much filled out, who is the fifth guy that should be on the floor at the end of a game with that crew? Yeah, I, I think it has to be someone defensive-minded. Like It could be a shooter in some situations, surely, but that would just be asking far too much out of Booker and Durant specifically, which is one-on-one matchups defensively. So I look at three guys. We mentioned Bates Diop. Jordan Goodwin is another name to keep an eye on. And then, of course, Akogi, who was the fifth starter for portions of last year as well. I think that those three guys are going to be not necessarily competing for the job throughout the year, but they're going to be the three names that they kind of toggle through. I think ideally they would want it to be Bates Diop because of his size, what he provides in the rebounding sense, and then how he can defend a bunch of positions. But that it, having Bates Diop in there, I'm not sure if he's the guy to guard Steph Curry or John Morant. That's where you go to Jordan Goodwin or Josh Akogi. It's a bit smaller of a lineup for the Suns, but in terms of finding someone to take the stress off the guards from a defensive perspective, those two guys can do it. And, and realistically, guys, they just need to fill four spots. Like They, they have four more spots in rotation to get to eight, right. and they've got a handful of candidates and roles that make a lot of sense. Like I think they did really well when you look across the league at what other teams have done. With the veterans of minimum, they, they've hardly accomplished much. I think Brooklyn did well getting Dennis Smith Jr. I think Miami did well getting Josh Richardson, but and outside of that, there wasn't much value out there. So they, they did really well. Kellen Olson, our lead Suns writer at ArizonaSports.com, joining us on Arizona Sports Saturday. I want to rewind a couple of days because I don't think it can bury too much. Bradley Beal's introductory presser a couple of days ago. What Because you were at the presser. What stood out the most to you from talking and hearing from Bradley? And then when you got a chance to talk with him exclusively on Arizona Sports a few minutes later? Yeah, just how uh, ready he is for this moment, right? Like he's been fading away in in Washington more so and kind of gone under the radar a bit. Like one of the things that he mentioned is like getting the chance to be not only in significant games every night, but like getting to play on television. You can imagine how the Wizards were on national TV, I would guess under five times last year and with good reason because they weren't that appealing of a team to watch, honestly. But now the Suns are going to come in and like maybe half their schedule is going to be on national TV next year considering the star power that they have, but he's going to just be playing in significant games every year, every day, I should say. And and for him specifically, I really liked his awareness with his mindset and just like the challenges he's going to have mentally ahead of him, because it's easy to look at this and see the on-court stuff and see how easy it's going to be for everyone and how they're going to set each other up. But with that being said, it's going to take adapting and it's going to be take learning how to win at a really high level. And he's, he's ready to do that. I think that you could hear it from the way that he was speaking. Like he understands exactly what he's going to have to do here in order for it to be successful. Kellen, it appears that the Suns roster is pretty much filled out at this point, but my understanding is if they did throw Kamara on a two-way contract, or let's say Isaiah Todd is not their best option. They want to cut him for some reason. They could open up one more spot on the roster. Is there anything in your eyes that they need to go and do, or are they just done and on to summer league? 
I think either another wing or another ball handler makes sense at, at this juncture. I think that right now it's the big three and then campaign in terms of ball handlers, initiators of the offense. We talked about Eric Gordon. He's still out there. Maybe he's a possible name that could go for the minimum. Not exactly sure what his market is. Again, like a big uh, a development that hasn't occurred yet over the first nearly 24 hours here has been at the MLE 12 million or so, and then and then the taxpayer mid level around four and a half five hasn't been used a ton, so there's still a, quite a bit of money out there in that kind of range. But another wing would help. I think that someone in base Diop's mold, who is more of a defensive guy, that's where Tory Craig immediately comes to mind. I think that's one of the last few dominoes here we're waiting for is to see if Tory Craig and Bismack Biombo wind up signing elsewhere because the Suns do own the bird rights on those two. And it just does seem like with the way that the roster is shaping up right now that Kamara seems like he's going to be on a two-way, but but we'll see, of course. I, I just think that, again, the, the balance that they've done, it, it is certainly not star-studded name, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a couple of guys that aren't as recognizable, but Suns fans are going to get to know these guys very quickly and see that they can play. All right, really quickly, I just want to throw a fun D-backs question at you because I know you've been watching the team and I know you're excited about what they're doing this year. How many All-Stars do you think are going to join Corbin Carroll tomorrow? Oh man, that's tomorrow, right? Shoot, yeah. I, I was like, so, I was so wrapped up on it, but then all it took was like forty-seven million notifications from NBA free agency to throw me off the center of that again. Okay, uh, Gallon is two. Yep, Marte is three. Yep. Do we think Merrill gets in, guys? He might get in, but is he going to be back from injury in time? I think Merrill will get it, and then may have to be injury replaced. I don't know, but I think he gets it. I have to believe that Christian Walker is going to get in. He's been so Ooh. good this year. It's just a loaded position for him. That's the problem. And, and so I'll, I'll hedge my bets and, and say just based on more positional scarcity, I'm going to go Geraldo Perdomo. He's had an awesome year. Not a lot of guys at shortstop are putting up numbers this year. That's something Mitch and I have talked about around the office for the last month or so, really, that he's got a really good shot. So I'll go, I'll go four, and, and maybe Lourdes is five, but I think one of Perdomo Walker uh, for sure, and then those other three that we mentioned. I like this. Kellen's very optimistic about this Diamondbacks team. Thanks so much. We know you're busy paying attention to NBA free agency, and I guess it's now the All-Star Reserve show tomorrow. Thanks so much. I'm going to a movie in a couple of hours, man. Like I, they, Their roster's basically done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relax, man. I'm uh, you've, you've earned it, Kellen. Enjoy that relaxation, <laughs> all right? Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks, See ya. Kel. Kellen Olson, our lead Suns writer, our Suns guru. He does the Empire of the Suns podcast with Kevin Zimmerman. And he loves the Diamondbacks baseball team. Kellen and I did four hours yesterday together on Wolf and Luke leading up to NBA free agency. And I kept telling listeners, hey, don't (laughs) hold your breath for any Suns deals today. Don't expect them to do anything big because all the guys they want, they're going to want to go out and look for more money. Yeah, I I couldn't have been more wrong. I got news for all of you. I could not have messed that up anymore. It's okay to breathe now. I'll say that much. Why do we put me behind a mic? Speaking of that Phoenix Suns team, and we just talked with Kellen Olsen about it, they filled out the roster. So who did they get? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the We just got done talking with our Phoenix Suns insider, Kellen Olsen, about how the Suns went about day one of free agency. Should we still call it day one or should we just call it free agency day? Because the Suns did literally everything that they had to do free in day one. Hour? Yeah, hour within and like a half. an hour and a half, they had made six different moves. We referenced an Eddie Johnson tweet where he said, essentially, Rome wasn't built in a day, but the Suns built a bench in 90 minutes. Yeah, 
It's true. So let's run through it because they did kind of the opposite of what I anticipated they were going to do. I thought that a lot of the guys they wanted to get on minimum contracts would go out and look for more money elsewhere. Yeah. And then maybe have to come back to the table with the Suns and say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to talk roll rather than money. Tail between their legs kind of move where it's like, I didn't get what I wanted. Can I come here, please? James Jones and the Suns must have gone to some of these guys early and said, here's the role we're offering you. On the veterans minimum, take it or leave it. I'm not going to negotiate this. We're not going to talk about this long term. You either sign it on day one or you don't. See, I think that's probably what happened. I think that's part of it. But at the same time, what? He didn't do a little salesman speech of like, hey, look who you get to play with. Oh, of course you have to fluff look where it you up get to, a little look bit. Look where you get to live. Yeah. Look what you can afford with the money that you have. Don't get me wrong. Just because they do that as a tactic doesn't mean that these players didn't want to come here. Sure. I'm not saying that he had to, you know, burst their bubble to get them to take the minimum. I think that a lot of these guys clearly wanted in on that opportunity. And I think a lot of these guys, realistically, they weren't going to get more than the minimum. Sure. Except Josh Akogi. I think to Kellen's point, he made a great point about Josh that he really had a chance to make some money this off. He kind of did the prove it thing last year. Yeah. With a team that we all thought would be contending. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's go through it real quick and what happened yesterday. Let's start with the guys they bring back. Josh Okogie you talk about. He's certainly a guy that I thought was important to bring back because he's a defense first guy. And when you have Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant, no offense to anybody else, but you don't really need offense around those three guys. They're going to handle the ball the majority of the time. They're going to take the majority of the shots. Mm-hmm. So Josh Okogie plays a great role defensively. And then Damian Lee, they bring back, who is a great shooter and a guy that they got a good taste for last year. And he can be essentially that role that he filled last year, plus maybe some of the minutes that Landry Shamit was getting. Do you think the Landale qualifying offer poll is kind of weird? So it was reported right around the time free agency started yeah. uh, that they pulled their qualifying offer. And I look, think they see why they signed three bigs, basically. Bingo. I think that they looked at Drew Eubanks and said, that's a rim protector and maybe a bit of a rim runner that we can get that we like a little bit better from a basketball fit. Who knows? Maybe they were at the table with both Landale and Eubanks and Metu. And they said, you know what? If we get two of these three guys, we're set. And then when they finally got the okay from Eubanks and his agent or maybe Metu. They decided not to restrict the one that they could have kept for probably less money. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. That's true. They must like the basketball fit a little bit better. Look, I'm not saying like, oh, my gosh, I'm upset they didn't bring back Jock Landale. But I'm a little confused about the turn of events that led to it. Right. Because. I'm not saying like, oh, we should now care about where Jock Landale goes. But now, where does Jock Landale go? Uh, you know, I, like, it doesn't what, matter to what me. What is his future? Yeah, that's it I doesn't matter to me. I, I wish him all the best. And it's I kind of weird. That's I hope all. he finds a good role. But Jock Landale was not the end all be all for this team. Uh, they know what they are. They are Bradley Beal. They are Kevin Durant. They are Devin Booker. On some level, they are DeAndre Aiden. And then there are a bunch of vet minimum guys. And that doesn't mean they can't play key roles. One of them is going to have to be a starter. It, look, three of these guys can be solid wing scoring options. Sure. Damian Lee, we've already seen it. He was a 40% three-point shooter for the most of, for the majority of last year. Utah Watanabe was a 40% three-point shooter for the majority of last season until he, to your point, had his role de-escalated when the Nets had 50 bazillion wings. And Keita Bates-Diop, don't sleep on it. He'll average two three-point attempts a game at just under 40%. Yeah, but none of these guys are going to average 15 to 20. No, 
You know what I mean? Like, no, you're not getting Dur- that out of those it. Those are Durant Booker numbers. Let's be real. I remember I did a show with and Gambo last season where they were they were bargain hunting at the buyout market. What can the Suns get in the buyout market? And I remember Gambo said something pretty poignant about, like, let's keep in mind, even if they go and get a Terrence Ross, which they ended up getting, mm-hmm. uh, those players, I'm trying to remember Gambo's exact words, but he basically said, There's a reason none of these there. players are going to play a significant role in a championship winning team. They can play a role, but they're not going to be a 15 a night kind of guy. Now, did Terrence Ross have some games where he came out and had 30 points? Yeah, and those were fun games. Human Torch was back. And some of these guys are going to be the same way, but there is a reason, you're right, that these guys were available for the minimum. Really quickly, before we go, any of the big money deals across free agency? Anything surprise you? Kyrie going back to Dallas, Fred Van Vliet going to Houston. Who was Dallas bidding against? I don't know. Who wanted Kyrie for that amount of money? It didn't make any sense to me. I thought they were looking to move off of Kyrie, not invest in him for the long term. That seems weird. The Lakers did a bunch of restocking. I hate to say it, but I like what the Lakers did. They've added a lot of key pieces. They're still adding. They got Reeves back today. Lakers are something to watch for. Hey, thanks so much for checking out the show today. For my co-host, Mitch Vareldis. For Trevor Henry behind the glass as well, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.